Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org, or listen the good old-fashioned way by tuning to 91.9 on the FM dial from Louisville Public Media. Do you read Stephen King? Good news. There's a club for you. The Losers Club. Every Friday, us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. We sink our teeth into each of King's novels, dive deep into the lore, and review every adaptation. Even better, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert, Mick Garris, the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with it's an audio interview series presented by WFPK and Dependent Louisville at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sounds and the Consequence Podcast Network. Big hello to the subscribers. Thanks for checking us out multiple times a week. There are brand new interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It's a lot to keep up with, so I appreciate it. And if you're not a subscriber, uh, take this moment. Hit that subscribe button right now so you can hear from all of your favorite artists, what they're up to, what they've done in the past, how they did it, all the fun bits. Just type in Kyle Meredith with and hit that subscribe button now. I'm Kyle Meredith, and today my guest, the legendary Robbie Robertson, co-founder of the band. He's went on to have an amazing solo career that uh, traces from the 80s until now and has been uh, Martin Scorsese's go-to guy to score his movies. In fact, all of that ties in to what Robbie Robertson has going on right now. There's a brand new record called Cinematic. It's directly related to Robbie scoring Scorsese's new movie, The Irishman. It also connects to a brand new documentary called Once We're Brothers, 
that tells the story of uh, Robbie's time in the band from the beginning all the way up until the last waltz. That's based off of his uh, autobiography that came out just a few years ago called Testimony. So, of course, we'll talk about how all of that relates to each other, get some fun stories about all of it. And since we're talking about the band, it just so happens to be the 50th anniversary of their sophomore record, one you call the Brown Album, an album that gets its own 50th anniversary deluxe edition, complete with all the unreleased alternate takes... The bells and whistles. And we'll talk about him collaborating with his old bud Van Morrison, as well as Glenn Hansard, who also makes an appearance on the cinematic record. All that to say is there is a lot going on in the world of Robbie Robertson, and this isn't even all of it. He'll tell you towards the end of the interview that there's a second biography coming out and even more projects already on the line. So let's get into it. It's Kyle Meredith with Robbie Robertson. Hi, good to talk with you, Kyle. I'm in love with this record, Cinematic. It is a beautiful creation of an album. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I had as much fun working on this record, I think, as I've ever had. And the fact that it's got to do with the Irishman and it's got to do with the Once Were Brothers documentary, all of these elements all folding into this record was just a glorious feeling. I, I feel like with anybody else, you know, obviously we'd only be talking about one thing and for so many things to be a part of what eventually becomes like one big project. It's it's one of the I mean, it's a very interesting time, I think, for you a lot of the times, but it seems specifically so right now. I have to agree with you. There's a lot of stuff going on and a lot of great stuff, you know, in talking about this movie, The Irishman that I that I did the score for and I also, you know, chose music uh with Martin Scorsese. You know, I work on, you know, most of his movies and every time it's like a whole it's like opening a whole new door. And on this particular movie, trying to find a sound, a flavor, a mood that could cross over the many decades that this story takes place over was particularly an interesting uh, challenge, and it forced me to do something uh, that I've never done before. A sound, a flavor, a mood, a, a, a rhythm, all of that stuff. And uh, there, there was trial and error involved, for sure, and there was times when I thought, I don't know if this is possible, because because Marty is very specific about it not wanting to be like traditional movie score. This is not like, you know, when the the tears start falling, the the music, the strings come up and, you know, it's he just doesn't go there. It's not his beat. It's not his thing. So I had to throw away a lot of ideas on this one before I was left with something that turned out to be a bullseye. So what is the answer then when you have to find a sound that does encompass all of those eras, but what is that sound that you fall on? It's different. The the score in the movie, I mean, on my album, um, the last piece on it, Remembrance, mm -hmm is used at the end of the movie. And there is some of the first track, too. I hear you paint houses, which is what 
the Irishman, the book that the Irishman is based on, there is that, but the actual score throughout the movie, this thematic thing that I found, it's not really describable to me because of this chore. What I could do at the end of the movie was not taking place over many decades, like what the interior of the movie is. And to be really honest with you, I'm not sure how to describe this this flavor of music, but when we put it in the movie, when Marty tried it in, in different places, it just rang a bell. We were like, aha, mm-hmm. because I had given him alternatives and things because we, we needed to nail it. So there was some trial and error in this process. But this particular flavor of what's used in the movie, I don't know what it is. But boy, does it ever work beautifully. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned, you know, the first song that we hear on, on Cinematic, the record, I hear you paint houses, and it, as you say, it goes along with the Frank Sheeran memoir. You, you've tended to write character-based songs in the past, and, and we find that in this one. Do you, when you do that, do you feel like, do you need to embody that character, or is it more of a third person that you go after? You know, I try to find... I try to find a voice and I try to find an angle that to me equals strong storytelling. And in my music, in what I reach for and have for a long time, I have reached for this way of taking you into a world, into a story, and have it be something that I can get across in a short period of time, that I can take you to this place. And it's almost the same feeling I get from a movie, For even from when I was a kid. I'd go to a movie, God, it would just take me right into a, a world. And, and if the story you know, held me and everything, it was just a fantastic feeling feeling. Well, and the way you develop it and everything. I mean, even just working with Scorsese alone, I mean, his movies are some of the widest scope movies, you know, ever made in the way that you're kind of describing how, you know, they were for you early on. That, that's that's really how I see a, a lot of his movies and, and to have, you know, to be able to uh, to get, I guess, is a way to say that, to kind of put the music behind that because because vis- when you put pair visual and music together at the same time, I mean, that's the strongest assault on our senses, I think, that you can give. Well, you know, Marty, you know, said to me years ago when I was working on the music for Raging Bull, he, you know, he said for him, there is no difference between the picture and the music. It's all the same thing. And when those things fit together in the way that he likes to use them, it's it's a complete feeling. And I remember when we were working on Raging Bull, that's the first movie after the last waltz, of course, um, that I worked with him on one of his dramatic films. But we are watching the very beginning of this movie. And there's a man in a leopard skin boxing outfit uh, bouncing up and down over in the side of the boxing ring in slow motion. And it's a nice shot. It, you know, it looks good. But when you put that Moscone music with it, you go, oh, my God, what's happening to me? <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's 
just looks like, whoa, this this really feels like something. So that's the magic that he's referring to. Is it coincidence that uh, two of your duet partners on Cinematic are both Irishmen, uh, speaking of Van Morrison and Glenn Hansard? It, you know, I, I wasn't thinking that of the time, but, you know, when, uh, when Van Morrison comes uh, to town, you know, he often calls me and we catch up and he's a dear old friend of mine. So he says to me, what are you working on? I said, well, I'm working on The Irishman. He said, on the what? (laughs) I said, it's a movie called The Irishman that Marty's doing. So he wanted to hear, and I said, I've just started writing this song, and I'm not even writing it to be in the movie. I'm writing it because I'm working on the movie, and one day I sat down, and the story that this is based on started to just started to rise to the surface, and I couldn't help but start writing this thing. So he said, well, can I hear what you're, what you're writing? So I played him, you know, with a rough of the track, and he said, whoa, I, I like that. So I said, do you want to sing on it? He said, yeah. <laughs> so we ended up doing it together. Then Glenn Hansard, who is somebody uh, who I think is a really special talent. I think he's a terrific songwriter and a terrific musician and singer. And I got together with him when he was in town. And, and it just so happened he was Irish as well. So just like I was saying before, how when all of these elements start to connect, it's like an electricity going through everything, and you really feel like something was meant to be. I want to bring up that song, too, that uh, well, I think Glenn's on a couple, if I remember, but but specifically with Let Love Rain, because some of these songs, you know, mine your past, and some of these seem like, you know, they're stories in themselves, but, but this one really seems like a song for now, and it's one of a few where you're speaking to a very present picture, which for a lot of artists, that's sort of been, it seems like that's been the challenge. Like when I turn on the news, how do I reflect that in a song, you know, that has been told time and time again in various ways? Yeah, you're, you're right. These times that we're in right now, it feels like this darkness of hate is just a horrifying thing, especially after all of, you know, when I was first making records and everything, there was something in the air about unity and peace and love and caring for one another. And you just see that going up in flames right now. And I was inspired one day, I heard this Beatles song on the radio, All You Need Is Love. And it seemed like years ago, there was part of that was that was kind of naive and innocent, but beautiful too. But there's something about that recording and this John Lennon's thing that I thought, you know what, they were on the right path. <laughs> this was this was true. This is what people should be feeling. This should be the thing that comes first. And all of this stuff that we're feeling right now around the world is like, God, if I could just do something a little bit reflective of that period, you know, back then and put it in the present, I might be onto something. Well, it's it's also interesting that you take a song like Once We're Brothers, which I've read about in other interviews, you, you talking about how that is reflective of your time with the band. 
But at the same time, that's a song to me that also completely speaks for this moment right here. I mean, a divisiveness in the world, you know, is 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 written in those lyrics as much as it was for any personal uh, moments in your past. True enough. You know, the divisiveness, it just it turns your stomach. You know, and you think, God, the the sacrifices that people have made in the past. So we would be more progressive and we would be coming together more and we would have more understanding Mm. and more caring for our brothers. You know, as time goes on and right now, you know, you just, you know, it's it's so disturbing feeling like a lot of that has gone up in smoke and it's a waste of a lot of people's hard work and dedication. And so, you know what I mean? And, 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 and as a songwriter, sometimes you sit down, you don't have no idea where you're going to go with a song, and you just see what happens. And in doing that, in this particular song, it's hard for this not just to seep in there of what we're feeling in, in this day and age. I, I want to ask something a little bit less serious about that, too, because, um, you know, again, that song, Once We're Brothers, you know, talking about y- your time in the band and that I also I just watched the documentary today and it's a great look through that entire thing. But but in that, mm. there's also a bit of a civil war uh, thing happening. And, and I thought, you know, the very first time I ever saw a picture of the band, and I thought, were these guys straight out of the Civil War, or where did that style come from for you all <laughs> in the '60s? You know, it wasn't for us. We were living up in the mountains in the Catskills in upstate New York, and this wasn't a look. This was the way that we dressed every day. And you know, when we would get together, nobody thought about it whatsoever, and. We were accommodating the area, the mountains that we were in, and we were accommodating something that perhaps wasn't trendy. You know, we weren't very good at trendiness. So this was just a way that everybody looked. And, uh, you know, and when it came time after we made the record and the photographer comes to take a picture of us, we all we did was walk outside. You know, nobody was doing anything in particular. And he said, oh, this looks good. And it was some kind of combination of a, a, perhaps a timeless quality because there was a lot of musicalities for us that we were very inspired by that came from early ages and that was did have a timeless quality to it and maybe had a timeless look to it as well but we certainly weren't saying oh <laughs> let's dress up and look like whatever it is we look like at all and after that it start we started seeing a lot of other people dressing like that a lot of people in music dressing like that and we thought oh my god this is this is uh, you know so we ended up kind of going uh, trying to go against that after that and not copy ourselves we thought god that was an accident you know we we don't want to because like i said it wasn't really a look it was just how you know how we dressed and then then we became a little self-conscious of that and so after that we dressed a little bit different and a little bit different just to, you know, 
not not be getting caught up in some trendiness. Yeah. Well, your non-trendiness also kind of helped start a brand new sound. I, I love it in the documentary where you say you, you were noticing that you were part of a, of a musical revolution. Getting a taste of that, and you know, and I say this now with it being the 50th anniversary of the, of the sophomore record with the Brown album, how important was that for you to do again, knowing that you were part of a musical revolution? Did you ever say, well, now I have to keep pushing myself towards something new you know i don't know if if we knew how to undo something that happened where we came from musically we recognized early on in our experience of playing in the south and then all the way up into canada we were on a different route a different path than a lot of our musical friends were. We were gathering different goods and we were putting it into our musical, you know, just the, our black box of the stuff we were saving and the stuff that we savored. And while doing all of this, we started to understand that we were just coming from a whole different direction than what was happening in music. And we validated that by saying we work so hard and we are so dedicated to what we're inventing that that's all we know. Then we hook up with this guy, Bob Dylan, and what we ended up getting ourselves into in that was a musical revolution. And so all of a sudden you think, well, you see, we weren't crazy after all. And that goes on to change the course of music, that revolution. Then it's time for us to make our first album, Music from Big Pink. We make this record, it comes out, they say, what in the world is this? And it has a tremendous influence on music and even on the look of music and even on the look of the culture. And we thought, whoa, all right, so maybe this is fresh. Maybe this, you know, where we're coming from is not as obscure as maybe we thought ourselves. Then we record the band album. This has nothing to do with what's going on in music either whatsoever. It's not music from Big Pink. It's a different take on it that is completely our own. This comes out, this becomes a standard in music of a flavor, of a sound, of a thing they called Americana. We're like, oh, okay, this group that we think we are, because what we like is quite obscure. We like discovering things that people don't know about. So we're so influenced by that, we think that we're actually part of that world. Then we end up on the cover of Time magazine, and you think, okay, nowhere to hide here. We're just, what what we're doing, we need to be so thankful that people gravitate to this and hold it in a special place. And so it was never conscious. We never, ever said to ourselves, let's be different. Let's do something different. We didn't know how to be, like I said, trendy. It just, we weren't cut from that cloth. Well, that's continued throughout your entire career, too. I mean, even in once you get into the solo stuff in the 80s and continuing through cinematic now, I mean, 
it's all what you've produced has always been so unique and that's what's made it to be you know so much fun to be a fan oh that's really very nice to hear i appreciate that and uh you know and for those albums to heal to still have stories to tell uh, as we get the deluxe edition uh, of the Brown album. And and from what I gather, it's not the end of you telling the story too, right? There's going to be another bio on the way? I'm in the midst of writing volume two of my autobiography. And um, yeah, because after I wrote Testimony, um, which this documentary is uh, inspired by, the Once Were Brothers documentary, I wrote it and I wrote it up to the last waltz. And it was kind of a defining culmination of the music of the band and a lot of people in music that at that time that we felt like we were part of a family. And so I wrote it up to that point, then the book comes out and the book is, you know, very nicely received and all of that. The publishers say to me, okay, uh, but we have something that we need to tell you. And I'm like, well, what? What are you getting at? They said, you can't write a memoir and end when you're 32. (laughs) You got work to do. So I thought, well, you know, I think they're right. So anyway, I am. I'm in the midst of of doing that, and I'm in the midst of several new things um, as well that uh, I don't know what's going on. I mean, at this, I had imagined at at this period in my musical journey, in my life's journey, I would be sipping lemonade on a beach somewhere <laughs> and kicking back. And I'm I'm way too busy, but I'm sure having a good time. Uh, it looks like it. it must be something in the air. You know, I was just thinking that uh, your, your buddy Van, uh, I mean, that man's at this point putting out two or three albums a year suddenly. So <laughs> something know. about you guys. I know. Uh, well, he's just, uh, he's fantastic. And what a talent. And and I so appreciate his work and from the very beginning. Well, I love hearing what you do, Robbie. And, and it's exciting to know that there's going to be more on the way, even besides the bio. I mean, I, I don't know what else you got going on, but I'll definitely be here to, to check it out. All right. Well, we'll make sure you're on the mailing list. Awesome. <laughs> I appreciate it. Sir, it's been such a pleasure and an honor talking to you today. Thank you so much. Oh, I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Bye for now. Whew, my thanks to the legendary Robbie Robertson. Again, let, let's hit all this. Brand new album called Cinematic. The score to Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. 50th anniversary of the band's sophomore LP, the self-titled record, The Brown Album. That's got its deluxe edition. And the documentary Once Were Brothers. And that's not even including the stuff that... Uh, Robbie was telling us is on the way. So a major thanks to Robbie and a big thanks to you for checking out the series and listening. Hopefully you feel inspired to, uh, to give us a rating and a review wherever you're listening from. Uh, and if you're not a subscriber, uh, this is the kind of stuff that you're missing. Hit that subscribe button right now wherever you get your podcasts from. That does include the big places like iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podchaser, Acast, but also like uh, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you're listening from does have a subscribe button, I assure you. After that, head to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, where you can also find some bonus episodes. It's an hour full of uh, song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and even more interviews. It's WFPK.org. 
Consequence of Sound has your music and film news. You can also find me at Twitter at Kyle Meredith and Facebook slash Kyle Meredith. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.